Well, hello and welcome to the next edition of the North New South Wales uh, commentary on the adult Sabbath school lesson. So this week we are studying into probably one of my favourite stories in the whole of scripture, the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. An absolute powerful story and one that just gets me excited about standing for faith in the midst of difficulty and trial. Um, and potential threat. So without any further delay, let's get straight into it because there is a lot to learn from this amazing story. Starting from Saturday, uh, I just absolutely love the verse that's been selected as the memory text found in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 17. And I'm going to read just a little bit around that to give a bit of context to that particular verse, but a verse that is so full of boldness and faith that it's just inspirational. So Nebuchadnezzar has just made his threat that if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? And then it goes on in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We answer to the God Almighty, in other words. And they go on to say, if so be this our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What a powerful testimony to what God had been doing in these young men's lives well and truly before this particular circumstance. So it's not so much that all of a sudden they're given the power and the strength to stand before a burning fiery furnace. Realistically, this comes back to that verse that we found in Daniel chapter 1 that talks about how Daniel purposed in his heart, and we know that Daniel and his three friends were all of the same mind at that point in time. And so these guys have purposed in their hearts to stand for God whatever the outcome. And I mean, they have already suffered such great loss uh, just because of their identity as a people. Having been Jews, they were taken. Yes, they were the cream of the crop, so they were given opportunity to live, but they've been castrated and their family have probably been slain, quite possibly very much right in front of them. They've been taken to a land that is hundreds of kilometers away from their homeland with no hope of ever returning there. And so I guess they've probably just thrown caution to the wind at this point in time and they've decided, you know what, no matter what happens, we are going to maintain our integrity, whatever the cost, because we can't lose any more. And I think that's actually encouraging more than it is discouraging to us who have so much going for us in this modern era with family and with friends and with no risk of death or suffering in any real sense comparative to what these guys are suffering with. So realistically, how much less of an excuse do we have for standing for integrity than they had? And how much more should we therefore be setting our heart to do that which we know to be right? so that these words of Ellen White's will be true to us as they were for the youth back then. She says, Thus these youth, imbued with the Holy Spirit, declare to the whole nation their faith that he whom they worshipped is the only true and living God. This is a story that demonstrates faith in action, not just faith in principle or faith in mental ascendment. 
And we have a similar call on our lives to impress those who have no comprehension of the greatness and uh, magnitude of the living God in these last days. So moving on to Sunday's lesson, and we are reading about the initial context of the story. Daniel chapter 3 and verses 1 through to 7 talk about how King Nebuchadnezzar had invited pretty much all of his government officials and all of the leaders of the nation together to dedicate this image that he has set up in obvious direct opposition to the dream that he had had. Now, we're not sure quite how much uh, time has passed between that dream and this story, but quite obviously there are some correlations that cannot be overlooked in the sense that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and there's all these different metals and then he is told that these metals all represent different nations and that as such his kingdom will come to an end and in defiance of that it seems that he sets up this image. And this part of the story reminds me of how blind sin and rebellion is in the sense that he has had an obvious supernatural encounter with this dream and yet in rebellion against that dream, he determines that he's going to set up an image as a signet of his authority and dominion over the then known world. And I can find relevance to this in my own life in the sense that it's so easy for me to forget the supernatural experiences that I have had uh, that indicate God is in control and that he's looking after me when it comes time to face a new circumstance of difficulty or a new circumstance of uh, whether or not I'm going to take control of the situation myself um, and, and maintain dominion over it or whether I'm going to surrender that to God and actually allow him to be God in my life. Now, obviously, for Nebuchadnezzar, it's a little bit more obvious, like direct rebellion and direct defiance against God's providence in his life. And it's almost as if he determines that he is not going to acknowledge that his works and him climbing to power and dominion of the world is actually the results of God working out his providence in the world rather than his own uh, claim to fame. But God is merciful with Nebuchadnezzar in this story and he is merciful with us in our own lives in the sense that he will continue to work with us in spite of our rebellion until eventually we completely turn our hearts away from him or are won over by his mercy and benevolence. In any case, at this point in the story, we see obviously that Nebuchadnezzar is still in rebellion against the tugging on his heart to give in to the mercy of God. He's had multiple occasions thus far, once for uh, testing the Hebrews and then secondly for the dream that he has had. And, and realistically, you could say that the whole book of Daniel is actually, um, well, the first half of it is focused in on God trying to save King Nebuchadnezzar um, because each story has a part to play in his um, conversion, which eventually doesn't happen until he is uh, taken completely out of the way of any potential pride and um, self-exaltation by being sent into the wilderness. But that's a story for another uh, week's lesson. Um, but at this point in time, we can see Nebuchadnezzar's heart uh, grating against the impressions of the Holy Spirit, similar to what we see when we look at the example of Pharaoh who resisted until the end against the tuggings of the Holy Spirit with divine manifestations and supernatural plagues that fell upon the Egyptian nation.
But just like God did not give up on Pharaoh until the last, when Pharaoh eventually gave up completely, God has not given up on Nebuchadnezzar, and this leads us to this Monday's lesson. So basically what happens at this point in time is that there is the call to worship, and there is certain of the leaders that have all bowed down to worship this image that have noted that there are some of the Jews who have determined that they would not, and then in absolute furious rage, naturally, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, commands that these be brought to him, i.e. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men get brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar inquires as if this is actually true. Do you not serve the gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? And it's at this point that we come to a catalyst. This is the point. This is the turning point in the story. It's kind of the same sort of story that we have with, um, you know, Elijah on the mountain uh, with the other leaders of the nation. And it's like, which God will you serve at this point in time? And although in this particular scenario it was a literal call to worship, there will be times in our lives where we are tempted to follow the customs and ways of the world in which we are living as a means of either worshipping self or worshipping a certain type of image that we are trying to portray to other people as a means of representing a certain ideology or even a certain theology. But they are a lot more subtle, and this is another application of the verse that says that he which is faithful in that which is least will also be faithful in that which is most. And so we need to remember to be faithful in the little things which generally tend to set the tone for our direction with when the big things come, the big trials come. It will be determined by what we have been doing habitually with the little opportunities of temptation that have come our way. And as we've already discussed, we saw through these young words these that they already had established integrity they already determined in their hearts to follow a set set of principles and they were not going to be deterred from it and eventually it got them to the point where they could actually boldly stand before the king of the world and explain that they were not going to bow down to the image even if it cost them their lives Moving along to the last verse in this day's lesson, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 15. I just find these words so interesting because they tend to echo, once again, that story in the book of Kings that is Elijah on the mountain where Ahab is defying God and then the story of the Pharaoh defying God. And in these scenarios, it's like when somebody in authority openly calls out this God who is apparently supernatural and able to protect and provide for his people, that's when God turns up in a powerful way to demonstrate his character and his interest in his people. So I guess we can take comfort when it is that we are faced with a precarious situation, not necessarily to the same extent as these guys, although obviously in the end of time we know that that will take place. But even when we face a situation, not to the same extent, but similar, we can rest assured that God is about to do something powerful. Even though it's hard to remember that in the situation, I think it would do us well to speak faith, just like these Hebrews did in this moment. They speak faith that, you know, this God is going to be able to deliver us, and even if he doesn't, we'll stand by him because we know that he is faithful. And I think with this in mind, it's really important to try and remember in our day-to-day -day lives that every little trial that we face, every little battle that we fight against self or selfishness and pride is a battle that draws us closer to perhaps a time when we will be called to stand for our faith 
as these three worthies did, at the point where there is nothing more for it. We either are going to die um, because we believe or we are going to live at the sacrifice of our faith. And in light of that, we need to take every single day with a lot more gravity than I think that we do as a, a step closer to eternity for us and, I guess, others around us with the influence that we wield and the way that we live out our faith day to day. So continuing on through Tuesday's lesson, discussing the test of fire when the three worthies are actually condemned and uh, thrown into the furnace... And one thing that I think is really important to highlight from this story is that although Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had been making preparations in their day-to-day life with how they had been living as a means of demonstrating that they're faithful in the little things and therefore faithful in the, the bigger things, at the same time, in this scenario, I believe that God in his Holy Spirit has endowed these three young men with the gift of martyrdom as a means of facing the trial that was before them. This isn't something that they are given by any integrity of their own as much as it is a gift of God to demonstrate his love through them to the world. In a very similar sense, we can think of, say, Stephen, who was given that same gift, or the disciples in their various forms of martyrdom uh, when they gave up their lives for their faith, or, you know, the many uh, men and women down through history who have done similar. This is a gift that God gives in the moment through his Holy Spirit to stand against um, the rebellion of the people and even at the loss of their lives. And we can't go from this part of the story without remembering that verse in Isaiah 43 in verses 1 through to 3. It says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I gave Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Now when we read these verses, it's really important to remember that that's not always the way in which God saves and delivers. Sometimes God delivers from the flames. Sometimes God delivers like this story, through the flames. And other times God delivers after the flames, like in the story of, say, John Huss, for example who was burnt at the stake. Right. It's, it's not for us to determine the way in which God will deliver, but it's for us to, as these three Hebrew worthies stated, that we know and believe that God will deliver us however he sees fit, whether that is through the flames or whether it is from the flames. Whatever the case, we will stand for what we know to be right. Now, moving on to Wednesday's lesson, and just when you think the story could not get any more exciting, we come to Daniel chapter 3 and verses 19 through to 27. Now, there's a few things that I would love to point out, particularly with this part of the story, and that is that essentially when we go through the fires of trial and through the fires of difficulty, it is 
important to remember, as we see demonstrated in this story, that the fourth man is there amongst us, is the fourth man is there with us, traveling through the difficulty, as he has already tread the wine press alone. He's already been through every trial and difficulty that we could possibly imagine, and has come through the other side to God's glory, and is prepared to stand with us in the midst of the fiery furnace. Second to that, I wanted to draw your attention to a verse that perhaps we hadn't thought of in this scenario, and that is Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 that says, For our God is a consuming fire, and that of Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 14 that says, The sinners in Zion are afraid, trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? And then it goes on to say in verse 15, He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppression, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, and who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed, and shuts his eyes from looking on evil. He will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortress of rocks. His bread will be given to him. His water shall be sure. And this has some implications to those who will dwell in the midst of the eternal burnings from from here until eternity. And in an allegorical sense, the three worthies that have been cast into the fire here are uh, representative of those who will dwell in the presence of God, as is demonstrated by the fourth man standing there amongst them. Uh, It is important for us to remember that um, if we are wanting to enter the presence of God without having been sanctified by his presence in the smaller circumstances prior to this taking place, we will be consumed just like the uh, the strong men of Nebuchadnezzar's army that were attempting to throw these uh, Hebrews into the fire. They were destroyed by the, the fire itself, as were, interestingly enough, the bonds that held uh, the three worthies. The only thing that uh, represented their attachment to the world was the ropes that bound their hands, but those were the only things that were consumed by the fire. Everything else was not, and they dwelt in the midst of the everlasting burnings uh, with their God, uh, who is a consuming fire, with no harm, and not even the smell of fire remained on them when they left the furnace. Another thing that I find interesting about these particular verses is how on earth did Nebuchadnezzar recognize that this fourth was like the son of man? It's I find that very interesting. It's almost like as if it's uh, a no-brainer. When you see the son of man, you just recognize that it is him, you know, and it sort of uh, is echoing of, you know, the centurion who cries out when he sees what happens to Jesus on the cross and he calls out and says, surely this was the son of God. And it's just interesting that somehow uh, innately uh, creatures recognize the creator when they see him face to face in the man of Jesus Christ. Finally, moving on to Thursday's lesson, talking about the secret of such a faith and how we can find the faith that these Hebrews demonstrated in this story. And uh, we are drawn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11 this time, uh, talking through some of the different examples of faith lived out in the Hebrew heroes. 
But at the end of this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, we come to Hebrews chapter 12, and I believe herein lies the secret to finding our faith similar to what these three Hebrews did. And it goes on to say, after it's given all these examples in the book, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, all these examples of faith-based uh, testimonies, let us lay aside everything uh, every weight and sin which so clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us and here comes the clincher looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God it is encouraging to us that while ever we are looking to Jesus and striving to uh, exemplify him in the world and in our set of circumstances our context we can be sure that he will testify to his glory through our example, whatever that looks like, whether it is going to the flames or whether it is uh, falling asleep in Jesus uh, quietly in the night when we reach a ripe old age. Whatever the case, God will live out a testimony in us because we are looking unto him who is the author and finisher of our faith, the one who began writing it when we were born and the one who who promises to finish it. And I remember the verse in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, which says, being confident of this one very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes I can find myself getting discouraged or fearful of what lies ahead for myself or for just the people of God in the sense that we are going to face some troublesome times. But I am encouraged and comforted by the words that say, he is the one that will complete the work that he has begun. He is the one that will finish the faith story that he has begun to write in my life while ever I am keeping my eyes fixed on him. So it just gives me one single purpose, one single focus, and the rest will fall into place because I will be striving to be faithful in those little things, which will therefore be the natural outflow when the big tests of faith come around. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. I pray that you have been blessed and that you will therefore be a blessing to your Sabbath school classes this week as you expound upon these scriptures and the inspirational texts found in the book of Daniel and chapter 3.